Today's gospel reading comes from Matthew 4, verses 12 through 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in a prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Nepala, to fulfill what he had said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and the land of Nepalia, and the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in the darkness have seen the greatest light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From the time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was talking and walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he said to two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers named James, son of Zebedee, and his brothers John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called on them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The word of the Lord. Have you ever been watching a show or a movie and the music starts getting scary? The power of music. I don't know, is it just putting something in a minor key? And it's, it's got to be more than that. But musicians know how to do this. The power of music, it can bring us to a beautiful place. It can bring us to a very scary place. When, when Matthew and Elizabeth were little and we would be watching a movie and it started to get scary, we would take a little bit of the fear out simply by saying, uh-oh, scary music. And then it was like, oh, yeah, they're... <laughs> They're trying to make us afraid. So we hear the music, it's just scary music. If we read this scripture over again, nice job, Calvin, on reading the scripture, I would suggest that right after Calvin read the very first line, we would cue some scary music. When Jesus heard that John was arrested, Cue the scary music. This is not good news for Jesus. This is frightening news. Because guilt by association, Jesus was really close with John. Jesus had just publicly demonstrated with John at the River Jordan. And had been baptized by John. And by so doing was saying to the religious authorities, I place credence in what's going on here at the muddy rivers of Jordan. God's doing something special here that cannot be controlled by the religious authorities in the temple. If they had just arrested John, they were probably going to be coming after Jesus too. Jesus responds to this very frightening, scary news by withdrawing 
to Galilee. Sometimes this, friends, is a faithful response to the things that scare us. Usually when we are not on our game, we respond to fear either with fight or flight. Some call it a reptilian brain response. Our reptilian brain, and we all have it, is very low in the base of our skull right here, and it's usually our animal reflex, reptilian-like. Our higher mammalian brain gets a little bit beyond the fight or flight. We see more options, more choices, but at first hearing about fear or when we sense fear, we think like a reptile. We're either going to fight or we're going to flee. Some who have studied the Enneagram know that six is on the Enneagram, and that's probably 50% of the human race. That's 3.5 billion people who are motivated by fear, sometimes get counterphobic, which means they're afraid and they put on an air of confidence so that nobody sees they're afraid and they start attacking. It's a counterphobic behavior. And we see that in ourselves and we see that in others. Jesus responds to this fearful news by simply and humbly withdrawing to Galilee. He doesn't fight. He doesn't flee. He withdraws. Now, when Jesus would withdraw, often he would go up into the hills to seek communion with God. And he would be there for a long time. And it was his way of grounding himself, his way of focusing himself, his way of not buying into the fear of the day, of the age, of the politics, of the power brokers of his age. He would withdraw to seek solitude with God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is good for us who are trying to follow Jesus. We, when we face our fears, may need to learn how to withdraw. Even if we're in the, same, in the same room as that person or situation that is causing us fear, there is a way to close our eyes or even keep our eyes open and breathe in such a way that allows us to withdraw, allows us to commune with God who is in our midst. Now, if we who are trying to follow Jesus as closely as we can, have something to glean from his behavior and his way of encountering fear, Look at what happens in the scriptures following the news that he withdrew to Galilee. When he comes out of that season, that time of withdrawal, he does three things that we might do as well. One, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, he's affirming that God is present even in the midst of fear. God is present. He's saying that things don't have to be looking good for God to be present. Things don't have to be going well for God to be present. The kingdom of heaven is near. That may be important for us to affirm for ourselves and maybe preach by whispering it to someone else who's going through crisis or fear-filled times to say, hey, God is with you. God is even here. 
The second thing that Jesus does that may be helpful for us is he calls people into community. He says to Peter and Andrew, leave your nets, come follow me and I'll teach you to fish for people. And then he calls a rival fishing team. I just thought about this. This dawned on me. I've read this story all my life, but it just dawned on me. I wonder if these two sets of brothers were fishing competition. They were both in business at the same location. I wonder if they looked at each other as rivals, as people who were taking the good fish, uh, people who were perhaps charging more or less to make a buck. These may have been competitors. And Jesus calls these two rival sets of fishermen to come and follow him. And he will teach them about a new currency. The currency is no longer profit. The currency is relationship. He's saying to the brothers, I know what fishermen care about. I know what your bottom line is. You need good fish. You need a good price to make a living. But let me teach you about how important relationship and community is. And that will be the new currency. He proclaims that God is in our midst. He calls people together in community. And the third thing is, he heals people who are dealing with diseases. He heals and cures people who are suffering from physical maladies that have separated them from community. He heals them so that they can come back to worship God in the temple. He heals them so that they can come back to their own families. He heals them so that they can come back to the community that grew up with them, that played with them, that loved them. But because of their disease, they had been shunned and separated. Friends, this may be pointing to what our discipleship can look like wherever we are in whatever context we're in to affirm that God is with us, no matter how scary the landscape looks. To call people together and bless community, create community, protect community, and to be about healing relationships, to be about healing and caring for people's wholeness, health care, well-being. I close with one example that incorporates all three of these movements of the spiritual life, and it happened in our own congregation last Monday. The nation recognized the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and our youth and some of our adults took that opportunity to care for community, to be out there in the world and to make a difference, to express compassion to whoever was in need. Senior high youth from Corpus Christi Roman Catholic Church in the township and the United Methodist Church here in Chatham, we 
boarded a few vehicles, and drove to Secaucus together to volunteer some time at a place called the Straight and Narrow. The Straight and Narrow is a, I think it's one of the oldest recovery groups in the nation. It was started in 1956 with Catholic charities. And they have been helping people who are struggling with addictions to drugs and alcohol for decades. In this particular facility, it was just for women. The women ranged in age from maybe 18 into their 50s, maybe early 60s. And they were all struggling with addictions. And they were all involved in 12-step programs. This group of Chatham youth, we pulled up to the facility in Secaucus after we went through a security gate. And you could tell just by the small talk of getting out of the church van and out of the other vehicles that some of us were a little nervous. We weren't sure what we were there to do. We weren't sh sure what our role was. We weren't sure who was behind these windows that had been tinted out and kind of closed up. It was an old building. It was in some semblance of disrepair. We got in after we heard the doors unlock. We went into this room that was, I think it was a dining room, where the, the tables were beginning to be filled with the women who were there. They were looking at us somewhat skeptically. We were probably looking at them somewhat skeptically. None of us sure why we were there. But Karen and Somi had planned some activities that could break the ice. We had a little icebreaker. We sang Father Abraham had seven sons. Do you know that song? You can be thankful that I will not ask you to do that right now. And we got a little bit looser because we were singing a goofy song. And then we had some introductions. We, we, we broke up. I remember saying to one of the youth, who is standing there looking particularly nervous, I said, we're probably going to break up into groups of two and sit at different tables so that we're not all sitting together. And she looked at me as if to say, you're kidding, right? <laughs> she did great. Everybody did great. It was a wonderful experience. So Karen and Somi and the youth from our church in particular, Calvin, you learned this the night before, didn't you? <laughs> and you were good at it. I saw... People were coming to your table and saying, Calvin, what do we do next? We folded origami. Miriam, I know this is, this is your field. This is pretty simple, huh? You do much more complex things. But it took us probably a, about 45 minutes for everybody at our table to fold these things into paper cranes. And what was happening was some of the women, there was a woman at our table, she was a mother of a of, of an infant and a three-year-old, and she was away from her kids, and she was so sad about that and feeling terrible about herself with that, and yet she had a vitality. She had owned her addiction. She said, I'm going to be here as long as it takes for my girls so that I can overcome this addiction. She was really good at this. Some of the other girls and women were coming to her and saying, can you help us? Community was happening at these tables. 
And as I've been preparing this sermon, I realized all three things were happening in that little room with tinted, darkened windows that we couldn't see out of. By our presence there, they knew we were Christians. We said, we're here because we care about you. And God is in your midst. We said a prayer before, before pizza lunch. Do you know how easy it is and how commonplace it is for us to go and get a pizza? This is the first pizza some of these women have had in six months. We had it brought in. They were so excited. We said a prayer over the pizza, and the pizza became sacramental of, of a kind. And the community around the tables became holy. We acknowledged that God was present. We nurtured community. And we were encouraging of the hard work that these women were doing in their 12-step programs. We were all about healing in that moment. Friends, that may be our call for such a time as this. To not let our fears have the last word. To withdraw, to seek solitude with God. To affirm that God is present. To build community. And to be about the healing of relationships. The healing of people and community. The healing of the creation. And when we do that, we will be in the flow of Christ and in the flow of God's love. May it be so for you and for me and for the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Amen.